Luke's uh, Mark chapter 11. Um, we have been uh, lingering in Mark chapter 11, and I want to talk about, if I have time, three things from this chapter that come out in Mark chapter 11. I want to talk about character, I want to talk about cost, and I want to talk about calling from this, uh, this scripture. And, and it is an interesting place to start, of course, because here Jesus enters Jerusalem. And usually you preach these sort of verses on Palm Sunday, where we did a lot of work around the work of redemption, substitution, or atonement, and the work of Christ over Easter. But I don't want us to miss for a few moments these verses. And let's start at verse 4. And they went and found a colt outside in the street and tied at a door. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, As Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread their branches and that they had cut in the fields. And ahead of those who followed and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is an interesting scene. We have learned a lot throughout the uh, book of Mark about the king and his power. Jesus the unstoppable. Jesus the miracle worker. Jesus the one who moves in power and strength. We've been on quite a journey in the book of Mark and we're coming towards the end of our teaching series. But what we've learned, he is the Messiah King, and as the Messiah King, he has authority over sickness. He has authority over darkness. He even had authority over storms and over death, taking the hand of the young girl and raised her up with authority and with power. Mark wants us to know who Jesus is, that he is the sovereign Lord. But then we have this strange moment. Now, we have become so accustomed to this moment that we lose the kind of significance of it somehow because we have King Jesus climbing onto a donkey and moving into Jerusalem as a king. Now, a donkey is a donkey, okay? I know we've tried to sort of... Uh, just accept this like it was normal for kings to ride into a city on a small horse. Uh, Well, no, it wasn't. I mean, can you imagine Mark Antony, after his great exploits as a general, riding into Rome on a donkey? No. Uh, Can you imagine? A donkey is used to carry things. A donkey, children love to climb onto donkeys. It's a small animal. And they were small animals. And even in the, in the ancient world at this time, they had war horses. They had large horses. They had horses that Caesar Augustus would, would ride and it would be snorting and he'd come into Rome on a war horse. And this was a king. This is a Caesar. This is an emperor. And Jesus 
climbs onto a donkey. Now I know that we've, we've sort of looked at this and we've sort of ignored it. We have a king of all creation riding on a small beast called a donkey. In fact, Zechariah 9 and verse 9 didn't uh, prophesy that he would come. And they would come and says, Indeed, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt. See, notice lowly. And Jesus, we are seeing this beautiful picture of the king who is riding on a donkey. Who is not depending on man's power, man's ways, man's might. He is profoundly lowly and yet he is sovereign Lord. It tells us a lot about the character of God. Indeed, it tells us a lot about character. Because we have this going on. I'm reminded of, of Revelations chapter 5 and verse 5. And where we see again this combination, this interesting combination. A king and a donkey. And here we read, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Boy, this is, this is Jesus, isn't it? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Whoa, love it. And we get a good picture of it. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then in verse 6, it goes on to say, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. You see what's here? We have Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. A lion is courageous. A lion is strong. A lion is, is powerful. And then we suddenly flick in a moment to a lamb who is sacrificed, who is meek, who is gentle, who could not ever be com- compared to a lion. But we have a lamb. We have a king and we have a donkey. We, what we're getting here is a picture of the true brilliance and nature and glorious character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I love Jesus. And the more I meditate on his wonder, the more I meditate on his character, the more I meditate and allow the Spirit of God to rest on me and look at the Scriptures, how glorious Jesus Christ is this morning. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and yet he is the Lamb of God who was slain. He's got two things going on here. You see, Jesus... Is able to be the infinite majesty of God. And yet, he becomes the humble one that lives amongst us. He is the king who rides on the donkey. He is infinite. His majesty. He is unstoppable. And he is glorious and limitless and powerful. And yet he humbles himself 
to serve humanity. He is the ultimate judge. The judge of righteousness. The judge of all things. The judge who reigns. And yet, he is the ultimate judge that is full of grace. And full of mercy. And full of love. What am I describing to you? I'm describing you the character of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is... Oh, yes, you know, he is absolutely supreme. He is, he is sovereign over all things. In fact, Scripture teaches us that Jesus is sovereign over creation itself. And yet, he submits himself to the will of God and to the heart of God. He submits himself... He has total self-sufficiency and yet he becomes completely dependent on the Father. You see, he is the lion and he is the lamb. He has courage and power and yet meekness and gentleness. He is is the majesty and yet humility. He is the judge and yet he is mercy. He is his sovereign, and yet he's submissive to the heart of the Father. What a character of God. Say, but what's your point, Phil? The point is this, the character of Christ is so magnificent that when I become more like Jesus it is possible that that character can be birthed in my life. That the same spirit that dwelt within Jesus dwells within you and I. And we look at our characters and we look at our flaws and we look at our frustrations and boy, don't we have challenges in life with our characters. Isn't it hard sometimes? Don't you just think, oh, why did I say that? Why did I speak like that? Why did I put my foot in my mouth? Why am I frustrated at this moment? Character. You see, character is king. And what the Lord wants to do in our lives, is it possible that you can be an amazing entrepreneur and run a successful business, but at the same time you can portray humility and love and openness? I believe it really is. Is it possible that you can know what's right and wrong and yet when you meet people who are broken, you can show them grace and mercy and love? Yes, I believe it is. Is it possible in your life that yes, you have got characteristics, you have abilities, you have gifts and talents and yet at the same time what Christ can birth within us is not a pride, is not an arrogance, is not a self-sufficiency, but an utter dependency on Jesus Christ in our lives. Character is king. And I want to live in this tension of, 
of, of the king and the donkey, of the lion and the lamb, of what God is doing in my life and still in my character being refined by the presence and the power of God in my life. It's character that counts. It's character that makes the difference. It's character that changes the world. It's not always our gifting or our position or our power. It is character that makes a difference for who we are. And our character can be and must be shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Do you and I reflect about character? You know, I understand that, that for me... To have good character is to make good choices. Isn't that true? That every day we're faced with situations when we can choose to react negatively or we can choose to act in good character in our lives. You see, I understand with character that character shouts the loudest. Now, we all love our reputation. Oh, we like to be known. We love our reputation. But it was Abraham Lincoln that says that reputation is really like a shadow. Character is the tree that grows in our lives. But the reputation is the shadow that is cast. And we often focus on our reputation, but we're not growing the fruit of character and the tree of character within our own lives. We know that when character is there, it shouts, it communicates, it's there. Character is about saying, I want to be consistent in my approach to people. I want to build that consistency that people can can know where I'm at, what my values are, what I'm about, that I'm not up and down all the time. But in that character, I'm growing And I'm developing in that relationship with Lord. How is your character? That's why we run set free. Because I know that I've seen significant areas of my life and character that have been redeemed and changed simply by the power of Christ and me submitting to his heart and to his will in my life. Are you willing To keep the work moving in your life about character? Are you willing to allow him to to move? Because character builds trust, doesn't it? That when somebody has a good character, we trust that person. We know they're consistent. We know what they say, they'll follow through. And it's there within our lives. And in Jesus Christ, you have the perfect character. Often character is formed by times of trouble. You know, it takes real character and strength of character to forgive others. To live in unforgiveness is a weakness of character. And often in our lives we forget this and the Lord wants us to take as the road that Jesus took. Jesus always took the high road with his character. 
When you take the high road and not the low road in life, you're taking the way of Jesus. I spoke last week about Mark chapter 10 where the James and John said, Jesus, would you just do this one thing for us? Can I sit at your right hand and sit at your left hand? Can I be the prime minister? Can I be the, the, um, the chief of staff? This is quite cheeky really. And yet humility... Arrogance and pride blind us, but humility is the ability to look at ourselves. And I said last week, when we have humility at work in our character, we understand that humility is, is that ability to, um, to relax. That humble people um, are more relaxed in life because they know that God's got it under control. That a humble person is able to laugh at themselves. How are you doing there? I laugh at myself all the time. Get up in the morning, laugh at myself. But it's important because sometimes we can, in our character, we can be always the judge. We can always be this. We can always be critical. We can always be angry. We can always have this character and yet... And yet, if we want true humility, sometimes we've got to just step back and look at ourselves and examine ourselves and say, in this area, I struggle. In this area, it is tough. And I want to have character as king. I want that working of the lion of courage, but the meekness of the lamb. I want to have that understanding of the king who reigns over sickness and death and sin, but is willing to to sit on a donkey and enter Jerusalem. That's the difference of character. That I'm not about position. I'm not about charisma. I'm not about just all of the things, you know, my power and my influence and being number one. But I'm willing to get on the donkey and do the business. I'm willing to serve the Lord in that humility and take the high road. See, the high road never looks for revenge. The high road never plays mind games and hurts other people around. The high road never reacts and is defensive and always concerned about the world revolving around them. No, the low road... The low road is when you hold on to bitterness... The low road is when you hold on to resentment. The low road is when, you, when you're not willing to allow the Spirit of Christ to mold you and to shape you and to lead you. And so Jesus here, his character is being displayed in the glory of this this, this scene of a king on a donkey as he moves forward. And then, of course, we know in verse, in verse 15, he arrives at the temple. And he starts throwing the place around. He starts throwing furniture around. And he, he starts to declare that this place should be a place of prayer. You know, you can't imagine the bedlam and the mayhem in this, in, this, um, in this temple. 
You had uh, people selling and exchanging money. You imagine a trading floor in New York on the stock exchange in the 1980s with people shouting and going for it and yelling and I'll take 5,000. And then you add into the mix wildlife and animals. I mean, this place is mad. Uh, Josephus, he wrote in his great history, he said that in one week of Yom Kippur, the, the week of atonement, 255 lambs were sold and slaughtered with the blade for sacrificing of atonement and sins. 250,000 lambs. That's a lot of lambs. I... I can't imagine the scene. But the, the, the animals, the birds, the sacrifices, the money, the shouting. And in the middle of this appears Jesus turning tables upside down. What is he really turning upside down? He's turning upside down the sacrificial System, Because he suddenly declares this place should be a house of prayer for all the nations, for all the Gentiles. Instead, we're blocking people coming to the presence of God. But I have come to open up the court so that all of humanity can know God's love and God's power and God's strength. And that we can know that freedom of being able to come into his glorious presence and pray. And he's going to do that. And we can go into that. There's no more 255,000 lambs slaughtered anymore because Jesus has cleared the temple. There's no more blades. There's no more short swords being drawn and lambs being slaughtered. Why? Because the temple... Now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of you. Genesis 3, right at the end of the chapter, verse 24, he talks about the fact in that... that Let's just read it. And after he drove the man out... Of course, the garden was the first temple. The garden was the place where God's presence dwelt. The garden was the true temple, if you like, of the glory and the presence of God. And God came and walked with them in the, in the call of the evening. And he, he, he was close to them. But then humanity rebelled against God and there came that barrier. And he placed on the east side a guardian of Edom, a cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Have you ever wondered about this flaming sword flashing backwards and forwards? It's quite dramatic, isn't it? What is it? What is the flaming sword that, that goes backwards and forwards? It's this kind of lightsaber if you're into Star Wars. And it's this, this glorious, deadly sword 
Well, it's the sword of justice. It's the sword of judgment. It's the sword saying that you have rebelled against the living God and you are no longer allowed into the glorious presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's the angel and there's the sword of justice that flashes backwards and forwards. But this is now all changed. Because when a man hung upon a cross, bleeding and dying, he felt the blade of justice slit through his life, through his body. He paid the price. He took the sword of justice upon himself so that you and I no longer need to feel the sword of justice. But we experience the presence and the love of God within our lives. That's what it's about. And there is character and there is cost. And Jesus paid the cost. So the blades of sacrifice in the temple have all gone. Because Jesus took the blade of God's judgment into his own body. So that you may never experience that. You are now forgiven. But then we have a little moment in this chapter with a fig tree. Sometimes I feel sorry for this fig tree. Don't you? Poor little fig tree. It's not even in season, actually, for figs. And he curses it. You go, oh, Jesus. Well, actually, technically it wasn't in season for figs. But if you know fig trees as I know fig trees... There's a little nodules on fig trees that grow at this time of year. And if you scrape them off and then you eat them, they are glorious and they taste sweet and wonderful. So maybe Jesus was looking for a few, you know, sweet nodules. But there's a bit of, bit of thought for you. I don't think it has any deep spiritual significance. Um, but, but maybe he looked at it. But the point of the fig tree is that the fig tree was green and lush and had leaves, but it failed to produce fruit. The busyness of the temple looked like they're about the business of religion, but it failed to produce intimacy and relationship with God. The character of the king is glorious, and yet we've got to look at our own lives and say, how is my character? Am I truly Bearing fruit. How is your life? Are you bearing fruit? Or are you wasting your energy in the business of religion, but you're not doing the fruitfulness of what God calls you to do? You see, the sword has come down on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are forgiven and free. And now the Lord asks us to do one thing. Will you pray? Will you pick up your sword? Talks about another sword, doesn't it? The sword of the Spirit. That now the sword of judgment no longer comes our way. But we have been given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which we can use to defeat and to break the power of the enemy in our lives. Brothers and sisters, you don't have the sword of judgment in your life anymore. You are holding the sword of the Spirit to bind and to loose. And to see answered prayer. And to see God at work. Will you be willing to pick that that sword up again and live for Jesus 
to grapple with your character and to allow the Lord to take you on that journey. Three things from this chapter. We have character, the king and the donkey. We have cost, the fall of the sword. And we have our calling. And our calling is to be fruitful within our lives. We should seek after fruitfulness. We should want the Lord to do amazing things in our lives. We should want that fruitfulness. And that comes by spending time in his presence. That comes by us dwelling in that closeness. Will you let your character grow? Will you learn to take the high road, not the low road? Will you build trust within your life through the actions and the words that have followed through? With your business and the way that you portray yourself in life, will you look for character above gifting and success? We allow the character of Christ to inform us. You see, you think Jesus would be conflicted, you know. He's a majesty and yet he's humility. He's a judge and yet he's mercy. He is sovereign and yet he's submissive. No, no, no. What you see in Jesus, my dear friends, is the perfect wholeness of what humanity should be. Look into the face of Jesus. Just as Count Zinzendorf did at that painting of the Italian painter with the thorns bleeding. And as he looked into the eyes of Jesus and read those words, I did this all for me, for you. What do you doeth for me? Zinzendorf fell to the ground and started a hundred year prayer meeting that brought the revivals that came across Europe, which our own movement and denomination can be traced back to the great Moravian prayer meetings. Look into the face of Jesus this morning and ask yourself the question, he did it all for you. What do you do for him? Character, cost, and calling. Chapter 11 explodes with these messages. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Let's stand together. Thank you. So blessed. It's a big weekend for our family. Um, I've got, if you don't know, I've got two twin girls. They're 18 years old. And tomorrow they graduate. They have their graduation, which is um, wonderful. It's wonderful, isn't it, graduation? And it's, it's expensive. Um, I said, well, can't we combine marriage and graduation? But that's not a good idea. We'll leave that one for a while. But you've uh, honoured the Lord on this glorious day. You've come and joined in worship on this long weekend. What a blessing you are. And I, as we sing this final hymn together... Why don't you make an effort to stare into the face of Jesus and say to the Lord, 
mold my character now. I count the cost as you did. And I want to hear the call to be fruitful in my walk with Jesus. Amen. Lord, we pray for the sweetest of moments now. We pray for your presence to come. We know that this kind of character of the king and the donkey can only happen in us. The lion and the lamb by your presence and our own humility of allowing Jesus to shape our character. Help us to be shaped. Let our character be molded by your glorious presence. Many of us have been hurt by strong giftedness, but lousy character. And even at this moment, allow the Lord to heal that from that wound. You've been hurt by the power of a lion, but there's never been any lamb there. But the Lord will come and heal your broken heart, come and free you, and come and minister to you in your heart.